Welcome back, everybody, to Worlds Beyond with Cam and Ron. We're super excited this week to be talking about Marvel's Hawkeye on Disney+. Plus. The series premiered Thanksgiving Eve, November 24th, with the first two premiere episodes, and then it's going to release weekly on Wednesdays now. It stars Haley Steinfeld and Jeremy Renner. And Cam, what are your opening thoughts? I thought the first two episodes were kind of a mixed bag. There was a lot to like about it, but... Especially towards the end of the second episode, it started to drag a little bit. Felt a little bit kind of generic and not like there wasn't a lot of real unique stuff to get excited about. But then the third episode, I think, totally blew it out of the water. It was a huge improvement in terms of characters and story development and action, special effects, everything. Now I think we're finally at a point where we're going to start seeing an upward trend and the rest of the show is probably going to be great. Huh. I think I liked it a lot more than you did. I think it definitely had some up and ups and or liked it so far. I think it definitely had its ups and downs in the first three episodes. I partic- I am particular, without, without getting too spoilery, I liked the intro, uh, the way it opened up looking back to the past. I liked a lot of the character development with Haley Steinfeld's family and Jeremy Renner's family and several things so i don't want to get we'll switch into getting into spoilers next and with deeper thoughts but overall i liked the first three episodes i thought there was a few down spots like the opening of episode three i thought was a little slow but i think it's definitely hitting its stride now yeah so now that we can get into spoilers we i can kind of delve a little bit deeper into my thoughts on why i was a little bit disappointed with the first two episodes and yeah i mean i agree i'm not to say that i The first two episodes were bad by any stretch. I loved Kate. She's a great new character, kind of in a lot of ways, a lot like Hawkeye. But as she will make clear in the show, she's a lot more of a kind of bleeding heart, save people and do the right thing all the time. Whereas Hawkeye is kind of struggling with his past as Ronan and being kind of a brutal, relentless killer. So I I like the contrast between Kate and Hawkeye, especially since Kate is unaware of Hawkeye's past as Ronan. But I thought I just thought that the kind of setup wasn't anything particularly special. I loved the flashback at the beginning back to 2012, but then everything after that, it seemed just kind of like typical superhero setup. And it was all solid, but there wasn't really anything visually exciting about the first two episodes either. It felt very kind of standard MCU cinematography, special effects, and there was really only one big action scene in the first two episodes, which was Kate infiltrating the superhero Avengers compound auction at the gala there, and that was a great scene, but then it seems like after that, it kind of was a little bit aimless, especially the second episode I thought was really slow. As much as I loved, or as much as I thought Hawkeye going to the LARP was hilarious the first time, especially since we've we've watched the first three episodes a couple times now. And that, to me, is where that episode just stops. Because there's no stakes in that. You know he's going to get through, regardless, because obviously he's a trained Avenger and there's no stakes because it's LARPing. There isn't supposed to be stakes. And that first scene when he's kind of charging through all the LARPers is really funny. But then once it goes to the trial by combat and him trying, him losing purposefully to that guy, it's all fun and establishes his character and everything else. But it really just doesn't seem like there's a lot going on besides that. 
And so I was kind of feeling like, all right, we have to get somewhere uh, in these first two episodes. And it, it's kind of obvious that they released the first two episodes together because neither of them, to me, were substantial enough. But kind of together, they were just enough to be a good beginning. But then once you get into the third episode, they really started to flesh out kind of the background of the tracksuit mafia, who are kind of the main bad guys, at least so far, and especially the backstory involving uh, Echo, who is a character who we haven't seen, but she's from the comics and everything else. It finally brought a little bit of weight. So once they set that up and set up her kind of hatred against Ronan, and then you start to finally see how everything is kind of coming together. And then the beginning of that episode was just after they kind of introduce Echo in the cold open. The beginning of that episode is just a total bombastic action blast. And it's super stylish. It's finally the stylish action that we've been waiting for in Hawkeye. Plenty of trick shots and fun trick arrows. And then the thing that stands out to me the most in that sequence is when they escape in the car and the camera is kind of in the middle of the car and it keeps spinning around and kind of showing the 360 view of everything that's going on. And, and that to me is, is finally like they're finally kind of leaning into the stylish action that we really, that I really wanted from Hawkeye that I don't think I saw in those first two episodes. And so th I think those are pretty much my deeper thoughts. I have some odds and ends that I can uh, pull for the end of the episode, but what do you think? What are your deeper thoughts? So for me, I I enjoyed the first two episodes. I think they they are very up and down. I loved the flashback to 2012 to see how Kate got her inspiration directly from Hawkeye during the uh, during the Battle of New York. I thought that was really cool. I think yes, it is all kind of standard superhero setup. I think definitely there was a little bit of the introduction to Kate's character where they're trying to give her all the quippy, quirky lines to to establish her character that I thought were a little overdone and then she sort of settles into it and that's not necessarily her acting it's it's the, it's the script but I really liked it I liked a lot of the setup with Hawkeye's family I think the story went a little bit up and down after that I really liked the LARPing scene because just because I thought it was just having him involved in live action role playing just to see how put upon he was the fact that he had to do this to get there and he's like you know just that whole juxtaposition of I'm an Avenger I fought aliens and now just to get, to get out of this situation I'm in, I have to I have to fight these nerds in in uh, LARPing costumes, and I think the the slow motion scenes especially were kind of almost like poking fun at superhero action and superhero fights and i just i mean to me i just took it that way i thought the introduction of echo in the opening of in the cold open of episode three was a little tedious it went i think it went on a little too long i kind of got it and i'm like okay let's go but from there right in episode three the action really explodes it starts to take a direction. I just love overall, and what I think what I think people will like about this show is after Loki and WandaVision in particular, Falcon and Winter Soldier was a little more grounded, but this is just so grounded, street level. It's not space aliens, it's not time warps, it's not wacky dragons from Shang-Chi. It's just really down to earth and kind of has that Christmas 
action movie theme. You know, it's like Die Hard films. It's like the first Lethal Weapon. It's even with the tracksuit mafia. It's funny because they're being played as vicious villains, but they're also being played as just kind of goofy, bumbling doofuses, you know, which almost reminds me of like the Home Alone that was in New York uh, and that kind of. So I just love, I think they're doing a great job with the whole having it be this sort of lighthearted action self-deprecating kind of vibe to the whole story. One of the things I like about this is that it it continues Clint's evolution as sort of he's like the mentor of the Avengers. Obviously, we know his backstory with Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, how he sort of recruited her when he was sent to kill her. We don't see a lot of that on screen. We've just heard about it a lot. One of my favorite scenes in Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, is his scene in uh, when they're starting to fight the robots and he sort of helps Wanda sort of decide to become an Avenger and mm-hmm. decide to, to sort of suck it up and, and go down that path. He has a similar scene with her in Civil War where he's just acting as her sort of mentor. And I read something where that was actually one of the seeds of the idea for the Hawkeye show was kind of that whole interaction between Wanda and Clint from that uh, scene in Age of Ultron so I, I love that because again that's one of my favorite scenes from Ultron is when he does that and just him playing that role I think is really cool uh, yeah some definitely some up and down pacing and other things that you know are kind of slow it does definitely take off I agree with you in episode three one thing I notice about this show too is more so than others it has really abrupt cliffhanger endings like I mean every episodic show has somewhat of a cliffhanger ending these ones are really sort of abrupt and then they just cut right off which i think is interesting it can be a little bit frustrating too because you're like wait you're not even going to give me a clue as to what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. so overall i i've really enjoyed it yeah i i agree about the larping scene in general like i think you have a great read on it in that it's a kind of a take or yeah a take on a parody of superhero battles i just think its place in the episode seems like it's trying to be a replacement for an action scene and it just isn't um so i think it would have been more effective in another episode with an action scene because it just like you that point in the episode you really expect something big and epic to happen but instead it's just kind of him checking in and getting ready and learning the rules which again is hilarious and you're right it is totally a send-up of the normal superhero tropes but I just think it would have worked better in a different context. If we're getting into odds and ends now, I really like how the deafness is playing into the story, both with Hawkeye and Echo, the villain. I think that's a really clever way of tying them together and kind of having each character be sympathetic to both the audience, but then also to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's always great to tie that kind of stuff into the story to make it feel especially relevant. And I also have to put in a quick shout out to Rogers, the musical, mm-hmm. which was absolutely hysterical, but then they really just switch it on a dime right when they introduce Natasha in the musical. And then it immediately goes to a really emotional like the all the sound drops out and then not only are they introducing the concept of Clint's hearing aid in that scene but also it's a huge emotional hit to Clint to see Natasha on stage jumping around all happy and singing and 
excited when she's dead. So no, that I was, thought that was really, really well done. Yeah, they've they've played on his feelings of loss about Natasha several times in the show, and I think that's gives it a lot of emotional resonance as well as you know him him possibly missing another Christmas with his family. I think right. that's great. I think there's also an unbelievable, potentially unbelievable for people who are in the know, deep in the know for MCU, there's a real a tease of another bigger villain mm-hmm. uh, in the episode that everyone's talking about online. I won't spoil that for folks who know about it, but that seems to be. So it definitely seems like it's going in a bunch of different directions. Right, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. I'm interested in seeing how everything is going to tie in because I feel like there's still a couple things we know or think is going to happen, but we're already in the the last half of the, the season. So that's the thing about these six episode seasons too. And then they released the first two episodes right away. It's like the show's almost over at this point, even though it feels like it just started, which is a little bit strange. Um, but I guess the alternative would be just to release it all at once. I don't have any, deeper thoughts about that that was just kind of a tangent no i think so overall i I think we're both pretty positive on the show i think i like the first two episodes going into the third a little bit more than you Mm -hmm. that's fine we're going to disagree on things occasionally uh but we're both super excited about the show and we will be back with the second half of the hawkeye episodes Mm -hmm. uh, in an upcoming episode of worlds beyond so that's a wrap on hawkeye Next up on Worlds Beyond with Cam and Ron is a film that we just went to the theater to see, and it is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Just a, I've talked about going to the movie theater and the movie theater experience a couple times before. This was uh, one of those funny ones where Cam and I were the only people in the theater for, I think, one, I think a group of three people showed up, and that was about it. And I've said how excited I am to go back to the movies post-COVID, you know, four movies that are really movies to be seen in the theater for me, and it's been great. And the one of the things I saw a YouTube clip on just how something like 49% of regular moviegoers are saying they're, they're still not going back to the movies, A, because of cost, which obviously that's a that's a thing, and B, because of health and safety concerns. And well, the one thing I would say, obviously, if you live in a really urban area, then, you know, movie theaters are going to be crowded. But if you live in a suburban area, the one thing I would say, especially in these times where we're still concerned about COVID, go to the movie theater now because no one's there. You can literally see almost any movie, even on a premiere night, and you're going to be in a movie in a, in a theater with, you know, at best, maybe 20, 30 people and everyone's really spaced out. So... I would say, contrary to the whole COVID trepidation about maybe going back to the theater, I I I just recommend people now's the time to go because you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it because you're gonna be one of the only people in the theater. So just a little tangent there, but uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Cam, your initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I am not a huge Ghostbusters fan. I know there's a pretty big fan base kind of built in from the '80s when it came out and. A lot of people love to cosplay and build all the different traps and gadgets and doodads. I never really quite understood the hype around it. I mean, I've seen the first Ghostbusters. I've never seen the second one. And I liked it. It was good. uh, But I've never felt particularly attached to it. Uh, So I wasn't, like, really looking forward to this one. 
And I ended up really enjoying it overall. I really liked, especially the relationship between all the kids and their kind of acting ability, I thought was significant, not significantly better, but I, I think out of all of the kind of 80s throwback kids on bikes riding through the forest mm -hmm. kind of genre that we've seen since Stranger Things, I really thought, and obviously Finn Wolfhard is in Stranger Things, uh, but I thought all of the kids' performances were really outstanding and just their relationship between each other was really good. And they kind of uh, grounded the film. And the actual plot of the film, I thought the first two thirds was very, very good. And then the third act falls apart a little bit and gets a little bit too close to the finale of the original Ghostbusters. Uh, but overall, I thought it was really entertaining, visually really, really uh, stunning. A lot of cool ghost effects and practical effects mm. uh, that kind of threw back to the original as well, which I thought was cool. And uh, Paul Rudd was also really funny in it as well. Yeah, my initial thoughts, I have much more mixed feelings, I think, than you. I was a huge fan of Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is one of those 80s movies that sort of goes alongside the John Hughes movies and Goonies and Spielberg movies as one of those just iconic 80s films as a kid I definitely went to the theater and saw it three or four times and loved it back then so I have that baggage going into my review of this movie and this movie really is very intentionally trying to sort of tie back with the family connections of folks and but really really tying back to that film and so I enjoyed it but I but I had some issues with just the way the script sort of really mechanically sort of moved back uh, moved through to get it to to get to this sort of callback to the original film and the original characters and everything else. So some of that just felt a little sort of forced and mechanical to me. But it's definitely enjoyable. It's got some emotional moments that I, that I felt. And I think people who are nostalgic about Ghostbusters will really get that from this movie. So it's definitely an enjoyable film. I just sort of, to me, saw I felt like I was seeing through some of the connective tissue of the script and it kind of took me out of the experience a little bit. Mm -hmm. So what are your more detailed thoughts? There is a lot of really artificial kind of setup and and pushing things to where they need to go, especially just right down to kind of the premise itself. It's kind of like people still feel the same way about ghosts that they do in real life now that they like like people are even though a giant marshmallow man walked through New York City, and it's fairly common knowledge. Some characters are aware of it. There's still characters who say, "Oh no, ghosts aren't real," and oh, we, and then so all the Ghostbusters are now forgotten about and kind of have fallen back into their old roles prior to the original film. And it just seems like a little bit contrived to get to that kind of uh, nostalgic. That's the word I was searching for, right? Yes. It, yeah, yeah, contrived is a good, good word to try to get get those reveals in there and get all the nostalgia bait in there. Uh, although that being said, there was a lot of people who are really ragging on this film for being almost too much of a nostalgia throwback. Remember this kind of thing. And I mean, maybe because I just don't have a huge connection to Ghostbusters. I didn't really feel that, but it wasn't really till the end where I felt like, okay, now it's really leaning in on those uh, same exact kind of plot points and things that were happening in the original film. Uh, so I do think it kind of fell apart at the end, but not entirely. Uh, I think it still worked 
for the most part. Yeah. I do have one other thing that I think it's more suited for odds and ends at the end. So I'll pass it over to you. Sure. For me, again, I enjoyed it. I thought the setup was good. A little bit slow getting into it. One of the things, I agree with you, the especially the, ch- uh, the child actors or adolescent actors, I thought all did a great job. The storylines of the older brother and the younger sister who, who really has the connection back to the original Ghostbusters, they were sort of going on different tracks, like the older brother character just trying to settle into a, a new town and he, he has a crush on the girl and everything else and it sort of didn't really have anything to do with Mm. the main plot of the movie and then once his younger sister discovers that they're ghosts and gets into uh, finding all the history of her grandfather being one of the Ghostbusters etc and starts down this path they she just sort of brings her brother and his budding relationship with the, the, the girl he met into the whole thing mm-hmm. and it's it's just like it, it felt it reminded me there's a lot of 80s sort of kids save the day movies like uh, you know the obvious most obvious example is Goonies where the relationships and how the whole thing comes together feels really organic and then there's a lot of those kids save the day movies and forgive me for not having one at the tip of my tongue where when you watched it at the time as a kid it felt like everything sort of hung together and, and evolved naturally. But then if you go back and watch it today, you're like, wow, these kids were all of a sudden in these situations and that there seemed to be no uh, organic sort of buildup into. And then also putting kids in way just crazy, dangerous situations, just like sort of out of the blue mm-hmm. uh, with not, you know, without a second thought. So I just felt a little bit of that in the film the tugging on the heartstring stuff when they do bring back bill murray and dan Aykroyd and ernie hudson into the final scene there i thought some of that worked i thought some of it was a little a little on the nose Mm -hmm. but i enjoyed it so i guess i think if you're nostalgic for ghostbusters you'll you'll enjoy this film you obviously enjoyed it more more than me but uh i just felt I was seeing into, again, I've said this already, I was just sort of seeing into the connective tissue of the script and contrived is the word that you use that I felt along the way. But Paul Rudd was great, but he, again, he, he was great, but then he was just being sort of drawn into their circle to serve as, you know, one of those gateway mm-hmm. creatures. And going back, you know, he was sort of the stand-in for Rick Moranis from the original Ghostbusters right. uh, and so while I liked his character, he obviously he's so funny and always does a great job, but it just seemed, again, contrived is the word I would use. So mm-hmm. that's that's sort of where I'll just leave that. But I think people will enjoy it as a just sort of a fun diversion type of movie. Yeah, I think they did a great job, especially with the scares and the it's it's funny, but not like a straight comedy like the two, 2016 one seemed to lean more mm-hmm. towards, whereas this one is much more of a adventure with some horror and scary exciting elements but not over the top it's still i'd say a good family film uh but kind of the last thing i i kind of wanted to comment on is and this is a pretty major spoiler it's kind of the final reveal of the film but so if you're really want to go in blind i'd say stop here but i did want to comment on the appearance of harold ramus at the end 
There's a lot of people who are really vehemently against any sort of CGI recreation of actor, dead actors. There's people who take a huge like moral stance against it. My thing is that's between the dead actor and their kind of children or whoever gave authorization to have their uh, likeness recreated. I'm not going to pass any moral judgments because they know their uh, family member better than, than, uh, than I did. And if they're okay with it, and we don't know, for all we know, Harold Ramis could have said, if they have the technology to recreate me, I want you to use that to full advantage, recreate me and make money off me. We don't know. So I'm not, and and I'm normally okay with it. I thought Tarkin in Rogue One was incredible. And there was a real performance and actor behind that as well, which I think helped. Mm -hmm. Here at the end, when they recreate Harold Ramis, as a ghost, it seems a little bit weird and on the nose, but they set it up really well to just have that one shot of his hand helping uh, finish the job on Gozer. But then they drag it out so long, and I just can't even imagine how weird and awkward it is to try to get Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson to act as if their dead friend is standing next to them as a ghost. Right. And then they don't even do anything with it because he doesn't say anything. He just kind of awkwardly smiles and nods and it's not a very good recreation to begin with and so i really think that they were like dragging that out way too long and it was really the one time that i've felt a little bit like wow they really did too much of that cgi recreation stuff and it's, and just the context of him being a ghost and already dead makes it feel a little bit strange uh, so that was just my final final comment there. Yeah, no, great point. Great point, just in terms of really drawing all the nostalgia out of that possible. And you're absolutely right. That scene where he helps his granddaughter bring down the ghost, that would have been just so perfect and poignant, right. but they had to just keep dragging it out. And everybody had their little Yeah, the, everyone inter started interacting with him. And it, yeah. yeah, it was it was a little bit... Uh, a little bit it didn't work as well as I think they wanted it to. But um, all the other nostalgia stuff I thought was... And I'm sure I missed a lot of it too, so maybe there was more that that people might find egregious, but I didn't. Yeah, so the, the only other thing I'll just cap off one of your points is the tone of the movie is, right, the 2016 was definitely going for straight comedy. This really, I will say, captured the tone of the original Ghostbusters in that it was an action-adventure with comedy elements and some definitely scary elements. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's... That this movie captured that uh, really well. So that is a wrap on Ghostbusters Afterlife, and we will be back with Spider-Man No Way Home, and thank you for listening. Please give us a like or a follow or a comment in the various places where you may be listening to us, and thanks again, and we'll see you soon.